So far in the Beatitudes, we have seen that the life that is blessed or the life that is approved by God is one that is poor in spirit. It's one that mourns over sin in the life of that believer. It's one that is meek in his attitude of himself and, of course, projects meekness towards others. It's one that has been emptied of his own self-righteousness and therefore hungers and thirsts for the righteousness of God. A person that is blessed is one that having been been filled with God's righteousness, having been filled with His Spirit of righteousness, that He Himself begins to uh, do things and begins to produce fruitful things like being merciful or being pure in heart. And as we looked at last week, ultimately that He would be one that makes peace with others. And most importantly, that He is one that helps to make peace between God and man. And we've looked at all these things. Today we're going to look at the final beatitude and some of you are thinking, finally, right? We're finally getting there. And uh, uh, it has been, I know, a long journey through the Beatitudes, but I think it's been so necessary for us uh, to take, a, take just a little bit of time and look through each one of these Beatitudes in particular and, and look at how Jesus speaks to us and what each one has to do with believers and, and how it apply, all applies to us, of course. This Beatitude we look at today is so different from all the others. But let's not forget that it is equal in importance with the rest as well. The Beatitudes, as we have been going through, the Beatitudes show us what is expected of those that live in the kingdom of God. And as we have been going through, and I I tried to re-emphasize this last week as much as I could, but as we're going through the Beatitudes, we can never lose sight of the kingdom that Jesus is talking about. That's why we've entitled this series, The King's Sermon, because the King, Jesus, our Messiah, is giving a discourse. He is presenting a manifesto to His kingdom of what He expects out of those that live within His kingdom. And of course, His kingdom is made up of those who have turned from their own righteousness, who have turned from their sin, and have instead gone to Christ. Through the cross, they they understand that Jesus did something for them at the cross that they could never do for themselves. They realize that apart from Him, that they are poor in spirit, and so, of course, course they turn to Him for salvation, turn to Him for a new life. And, And through growth in the Spirit and through walking with Christ, He, of course, does uh, begin to change their lives. And that changed life is supposed to be something that uh, is projected to all those that are around so that the people of this world, when they look at Christians, they understand us not as just some club or some social gathering, but as as a kingdom. A kingdom of people who are following the King, following Jesus. And as a part of this kingdom... If we are truly Christians, then the Beatitudes tell us what is expected out of us. One thing that we pointed out in the very first message uh, as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, the very first message is that this kingdom that we are in is a kingdom of excellence. And Jesus expects excellence from His people. We have softened Jesus up over the years. And we've made Him to be someone that just winks at sin, that is tolerant of sinfulness, 
that accepts the fact that his people are never really going to be righteous. But I want you to know that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus expects excellence out of his people. Now, he knows that we will never reach excellence ourselves. And so, of course, there is a process by which he, through his Spirit, is going to produce that excellence that is in us. But it, there is a certain yielding that we have to do, a certain uh, a matter of obedience that we have to give to him in order for him to produce these things in us. And so, what the Beatitudes do is they're really an evaluation of every person that claims to be a child of God, of every person that claims to be a Christian of every church member in every church, as they read through the attitude, they are to ask themselves this question, am I really a Christian? And the Beatitudes answer that question. Now they answer that question by asking a series of questions. We, ask, we go through the Beatitudes, we ask, am I really a Christian? And the Beatitudes turn around and they say, well, are you poor in spirit? Do you mourn over sin? Are you meek? Do you hunger and thirst for God's righteousness? Are you merciful to others? Are you pure in heart? Are you a peacemaker? And the last one that we see today is that the question that is being beckoned us today is, are you persecuted? And so we go. We open up God's Word. And we say to Him today, Lord, You have shown us a lot of painful things. You have shown us many things that need to be corrected in our lives. Many attitudes that we have that are wrong. Uh, many things that are being manifested in our own lives that show us or that show me that I am not the Christian that I need to be. And so God, I stand before Your Word today, and, and I am listening to Your Spirit, and I'm wanting to know, God, am I a Christian? And so the Beatitudes return the question, and they say, are you being persecuted? Are you being persecuted? Because Jesus in the Beatitudes, the very last one, the eighth and final Beatitude is... Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What we're going to see today is that if poor in spirit is the gate to the kingdom, and if peacemaker, the seventh beatitude, is the goal of the kingdom, then what we're going to find today is that persecution is the response to this kingdom. I'm just going to say the same thing in a different way. We have been seeing a process that takes place, realizing that in order for us ever to be the kind of Christian that it takes, there is a starting point, and that starts with born in spirit. That's really where salvation comes in, where we realize that we are not, but that He is, and so we go to Him for salvation. And so the, the entrance, the gate into the kingdom, is poor in spirit. And as we get a walk through the attitude, God just takes off all of our own self-righteousness, He humbles us, and as we thirst and hunger for His righteousness, He begins to fill us and produce godly righteousness, produce real righteousness in our lives. And so that the goal of all of the attitudes, the goal is the seventh attitude, that we would be one who makes peace between God and man. That we would be peacemakers. And that's what God wants. This kingdom that we are in is to be a kingdom uh, that makes peace between all the other nations of the world and the holy God that created them. That's what we are, that, that is the goal of Christianity. That is the goal of what we are to be as children of God. And so what the eighth beatitude is, the eighth beatitude is not so much what we are as Christians, but that if we really are that type of 
a Christian, if we are really poor in spirit and, and, and we have reached the goal of being peacemakers, this is the result. This is how the world is going to receive us. This is what is going to happen in the life of a true Christian is they are going to be persecuted. It's going to happen. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at persecution, why it is necessary, and, uh, and see, uh, see what all this entails as we go through verses 10 through 12. Well, let's just jump right in. Uh, we're going to look at, first of all, the reality of persecution. In verse 10, let's just read that verse again. He says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're looking at the reality of persecution. Now, as strange as it may sound, persecution is as much a beatitude as any of the others. And we've already said this, but we may ask the question, am I a Christian? Well, then we have to ask the question, am I being persecuted for being a Christian? As much as a Christian can be identified by his poor spirit, his meek disposition, or his merciful actions so will he be identified through persecution. Now, as we have followed the Beatitudes, we have seen that they show us what a true Christian is. The intended Christian life is so countercultural, so vastly different from the other attitudes and actions of society around us, that persecution is the world's natural response towards all those that pattern their lives after Christ. The first seven Beatitudes show us, then, what a Christian looks like. The final Beatitude shows us how a true Christian is going to be received. Now, why is persecution a necessity? Excuse me. There's too many C's and S's in that word. Why is persecution a necessity? Well, if we look at the kind of person that a, a true Christian is, we may ask the question, how could such a life breed persecution? And, you know, if, if someone is truly a Christian, isn't that the kind of person that everyone should like? Isn't a, a real Christian, uh, isn't that someone that everyone should, should want to run to, everyone should want to befriend? I mean, a real Christian is one who doesn't think highly of himself, but they realize that in the sight of God, you know, that, that apart from Christ, he's nothing, so he's humbled himself. He's become meek, which means that he doesn't raise himself above others either. He's not looking down on others, but he has a, a proper view of himself. And so he, he shows himself as being meek and lowly. That's a Christian. Wouldn't you like somebody like that? Don't you get tired of all the arrogance and pride and all the stuff that you see around the world? And so if you meet a real Christian who is meek and lowly in heart, like Jesus was, then of course that should be something that that people should be drawn to. A true Christian is one that, that does things that are right. He's merciful to others. He has a pure heart. And he wants nothing but to make peace in the lives of others. Why would, why would anyone want to persecute a Christian? I mean, it really does sound strange that if a person is truly a Christian that others could even could hate a person like that. But let's remember that the servant is not greater than his Lord. And that's exactly what Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse 20. He says, Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
Now I want us to understand this morning that there was only ever one perfect Christian. There's only ever been one perfect Christian, and that was, of course, Jesus. He was meek. He was merciful. He was righteous. He was all that a godly person is intended to be. And the world hated Him for it. You see, the life of Jesus stood in conflict with His society. As Jesus lived the life that He did, lived a life of true godly righteousness, as He lived such a life, it stood in direct conflict with the society around Him. His morals and His character threatened those of the people that surrounded Him. And so we look at people who thought that they were pious. We look at people who thought they were righteous and holy. We, we look at the scribes and the Pharisees who loved to boast of all the good that they had done and all the righteousness that had been them. But in their hearts we know that there was something off. And as they stood around Jesus, who had not been through all the storm they had, who had not grown up down in Jerusalem, but was from Galilee, and no less from the city of Nazareth, this man who had never been to a proper school and, and learned the things that they had learned, when they looked at Jesus, who was truly righteous, what happened is, being in his presence, they felt judged automatically by the way that Jesus lived. And so where, even though they believed the law and tried to follow the law, where they would uh, perhaps judge someone for something they had done, or perhaps try to make, uh, make excuses for certain behavior that was in their lives, they looked at Jesus and over and over and over, they tried to tempt Him to say something that was out of the way, or tempt Him to do something that was wrong. And over and over again, Jesus proved that He truly was as righteous as everyone said He was. And as they saw the true righteousness of Jesus, they felt threatened by that. They felt as though the very holiness that, that he stood in judged their own holiness. And here's the thing. Everybody wants to feel like the righteous of them. That's why we all justify the things that we do. That's why we can do something we know is wrong, and when someone confronts us with it, we're going to give all kinds of excuses why our case is different from everybody else's, and why we're excused for doing whatever that is that we have done. We want to feel self-righteous, and so when we stand in the presence of true righteousness, it unveils how truly wicked and unholy we are, and it feels like judgment is being cast Upon us, and that's exactly what uh, what happened with Jesus and those in his society in that day. And I've just used the Pharisees, but let's not forget all the others that stood. Uh, their lives stood in contradiction to the holiness that they found in Jesus. They viewed the excellence of his behavior as a judgment upon their own behavior, and so we find in Scripture that he was despised and rejected of men. What Jesus was getting at in the verse I read a little earlier is that if they hated Him, then they're going to hate those who act like Him. Jesus is just as hated today as He was then. That's something we never need to lose sight of. When you go to people, and this has been proved over and over again, you can talk about God as long as you're talking about Him in a general sense. But the moment that Jesus' name gets brought up, people get mad at it. People want to start throwing stuff. 
because they know the life that Jesus is said to have lived. They know the standard of righteousness that Jesus both lived and expects from His Christians. And so when, when that word Jesus gets brought up, when that standard of holiness and righteousness is placed before them, they automatically, it, it just there's a reaction of anger that comes out of them. And, and we see it just as much today. He's not here physically on the earth, but people hate Him just as much now, if not more, than they ever have before. His morals and character, character still threaten those in our society. And so when His morals and character are seen in us, it will result in persecution. Now, one of the very basic truths that we need to understand about the Christian life is that really what the Christian life is, is it's not us anymore, but it's Christ in us, is it not? And this is what Christians are supposed to be. It's not us trying to imitate what Jesus was and did and said and all of those things, but it's a surrender to Christ, a, a full surrender to Him, where the very Christ Himself, or Jesus, through His Spirit, begins to live through us. That is what the Christian life is supposed to be. And so when the people of His kingdom, when Christians stand in the world, uh, a world of sinners, a world of immorality, and all the other things that are going on out there, when a true Christian stands in the presence of a, of a sinful world, what's going to happen is, as Jesus lives through us, as those same morals and characters that He had begin to be shown through us, they're going to respond to that. And it's not going to be a pat on the back. It's going to be hatred. As Jesus so adequately put it here, it's going to be in persecution. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul said this to the young pastor. He said, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. I want us to look at that verse just for a second. A couple of things that I want us to notice there. First of all, he said, All that will live godly in Christ. He didn't say, All those who claim to be a Christian... All those who go to church, all those who are saved, that, that's not what he said. He said, all those who will live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Not might, not could, but everyone who will submit themselves to Christ and will live a godly life in Him, all of those will suffer persecution. When you are different, I want you to understand that people are going to see it as a judgment upon themselves. And so when they ask you to go for a drink after work and you say no, they don't just take it as, oh, well, that's your you know, that's your prerogative. They, they take it as, well, what are you saying? Are you saying I'm sinning? Are you saying it's wrong for me to go out and drink? When people ask you, uh, when, when the gossip chain is going around and, uh, and the gossip comes to you and all of a sudden it stops. People don't really usually come out and say, oh, look how holy he is or she is. It's, what do you, you think I'm a gossip? Is that what you're saying? You know, they're going to come back in, in hostility. They, they will view the righteousness that is in us. They're going to view it as a judgment upon them. You see, the true Christian life stands in conflict with society and therefore it will be 
persecuted. Now let us briefly clarify this term persecution because we all at times want to feel as though we are being persecuted. The persecution that Jesus spoke of here is not troubles that result in unwise or sinful behavior. When we make stupid choices, when we do things that are unwise, and there are troubles that result in such behavior, that's not persecution, guys. (laughs) We don't get to mark that down as suffering for Christ. Persecution is not rejection of others due to fanatical behavior. If you're standing as a Christian with that title on you and you're picketing someone and and, uh, calling out to this group of people saying that God hates them, God hates their sin, or He hates them as people, and and you're marching along and people start throwing rocks at you, you don't get to mark that up as persecution. You get to mark that up as, I was being an idiot that day and somebody just put a real rock at me. We don't get to view brash or harsh behavior towards others. When it results in, in violence or in anger towards others, we don't get to mark that up as persecution. When you go to the funeral of an unbeliever and you walk over to their family and you say, well, I hope you know that your loved one is probably in hell right now because they didn't know Jesus. And they punch you in the nose. You don't get to mark that up as persecution. It doesn't work like that. And we might laugh at that. You'd be surprised how often that kind of stuff happens. We wonder why Christians have such a bad name because we don't think. We do stuff that uh, it's not really Christ-like. So we can't, that is not what persecution is. It's not the kind of persecution that we're talking about here. The persecution that Jesus spoke of is suffering that is inflicted upon those who live righteously. And, and he clarifies that in verse 10. He says, not just blessed are they which are persecuted, but he says, blessed are they which are persecuted for what? Righteousness' sake. For those who, when they are living a righteous life, when righteousness is being shown through their lives, when God is being expressed in their attitudes and their works and their actions, and people come back at them with persecution, he says those are the ones who are blessed. That is the type of persecution that he is speaking of. And this persecution, understand, can span all the way from martyrdom uh, down to harassment. When you're at your job and and you're being looked over either for promotions or your boss is riding you because of not not because of something you did at work, but but because of the standards that you hold, the morals that you have. When you are walking through life and your friends get tired of how good you are, and we understand it's not us that's being good, is it? but it's Christ in us. But when they get tired of how good you are and, and they stop hanging around you and they decide that, that they can no, really no longer uh, ride with you anymore, that could be labeled as persecution. When words of hatred or despise are, are being aimed at you because of your stand for God, your stand for Christ, that is the kind of uh, persecution that we're talking about. 
But how unfortunate it is that much of the persecution we will face as Christians, much of the persecution we will face as Christians is going to come from Christianity. I say Christianity to distinguish between the true disciples of Jesus and those who are merely practicing the Christian religion because there is a vast difference between the two, is there not? The majority of Jesus' persecution did not come from Rome, but it came from the very Jewish leaders of His own people. Paul reported often of having been betrayed and forsaken by church people. As a matter of fact, read the letter of 2 Corinthians. And there was a, a big thing that had happened there at Corinth where his, uh, his authority was being questioned. Uh, he himself was being questioned. He had been called into question by some people there at, uh, at the church at Corinth. And he wrote letters. He even made uh, some visits over there to address some of those issues that were going on. He was persecuted, yes, by many without the church. But a lot of his persecution came from those who claimed to be Christians themselves. And I too would have to admit that the bulk of persecution that I have faced has not come from non-believers, but from my own brothers and sisters in Christ who have not appreciated my stand for the truth. Now everybody will pat you on the back, shake your hand, and tell you what a great job you did when you preach from the Word of God as long as it doesn't conflict what they're doing in their own lives. But the moment you, that moment that toes start getting stepped on, this starts running. Or tomatoes start flying, or whatever it is that we want to say, but it happens. And, and you're going to experience it as well. Some of the most intense and fierce persecution you're going to face, Christians, are going to be from your own brothers and sisters in Christ. So we must beware because persecution can come from every direction. It's going to be people that we work with. It's going to be people that we just come in contact with out in the world. It's going to be people we witness to. But it, it could even be as close as our own family, our own friends, and even our own church family. So we must beware. It will come from every direction. Now, the second thing I want us to look at is the certainty of persecution in verse 11. If you'll read on down with me, it says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. And I want you to notice that Jesus switched here from general persecution to personal persecution. He, he says up in verse, uh, verse 11 there, or excuse me, he says in verse 10, as part of the Beatitudes, in general, he says, Blessed are they, the people who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And so in general, he says, when people are persecuted for righteousness, they're going to be blessed for that. But then he turns right back and he looks them in the eye and he says, And blessed are you when you having stood for my principles, when you having followed my lifestyle, when you having lived in this kingdom as I expect, when they persecute you, listen, there are blessings for that as well. But I think, I think really what Jesus was pointedly saying is, and you are going to be persecuted as well. You are going to be persecuted. It's, it's coming. It's going to happen. It is a certain thing. If you choose to live a life that is led by the Spirit, that is governed by the Word of God, and characterized by the Beatitudes, 
then you will be persecuted. There's no way around it. People are going to insult you. They're going to criticize you. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to scorn you. They're going to betray you. They're going to hate you. And as Jesus said, they're going to falsely accuse you. Let's read verse 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. I want us to realize that this same hatred that might inspire words of unkindness, that might inspire criticism and judgment, that same hatred, if intensified, could very easily lead to physical actions as well. So that the person's mouth who is belittling you, if that continues on, could very well turn into fist punching you. And millions and millions of Christians have seen the bitter end that comes from the hatred towards Christian, which has resulted in many people's death. As painful as it is to do so, we also have to look at this beatitude from the opposite direction. Jesus says, if you are a Christian, then you will be persecuted. Have you seen that today? If you are a Christian, you will be persecuted. Now, we have all heard the expression, if it walks like a duck, and it talks like a duck, or quacks like a duck, then it's a what? It's a duck, isn't it? It's profound, isn't it? Y'all came for something good. I'm giving you if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck. But... All right, well, we can flip that around. If it doesn't walk like a duck, and it doesn't talk or quack like a duck, then it's mute with no legs, right? <laughs> no, if it doesn't walk like a duck, it doesn't quack like a duck, it's not a duck. If Jesus Christ, and I think Jesus Christ should know what it is to be a Christian, if Jesus Christ identified a Christian as one who was persecuted for righteousness, then what does it mean if you're not being persecuted? Well, when we get outside, a bunch of you are probably fixing to show me, aren't you? <laughs> If Jesus identified a Christian as one who is suffering for righteousness, suffering for His sake, if we are not being persecuted, then what does that mean for us? I think the simple conclusion is we may not be as good a Christian as we think we are. How many times have we heard and devotional has been given, or sermon has been preached, and we said, now here in America, we don't suffer persecution like many do in other countries. Anybody ever heard that before? This week I had to take a very close look at, at my own life and, and what's going on in America. 
And I think this is the solution. This is, this is really what's going on here. I believe that the lack of persecution that we see on American Christians is not due to the freedoms in our culture. Now that's what we like to mark it up to. In America, we have freedom of religion. In America, you know, we just don't go through the same persecution that people do in other countries. And we love to mark our, our lack of persecution up to the freedoms that we enjoy here in America. And although that may be a part of it, I believe that the lack of persecution in American culture is not due to the freedoms of our culture, but because our Christianity has ceased to be counter-cultural. So then, as a Christian in America, if persecution is not in my life, it may not be because we're so free. It may be because what I'm marking up as Christianity, what I'm claiming, and that title that I'm wearing around everywhere, the life that I'm living under that title may not be what it's supposed to be. But let me assure you of this thing. When your Christianity, when your Christian life, your Christian law, when it starts being counter-cultural, you're going to start suffering some persecution. It's going to happen every time. The world hasn't changed. Satan hasn't changed. <coughs> Watch me are thrown at us. We're not doing anything for them to be thrown at us. We're camo Christians. We just like to blend in. And so we're not going to say anything that is going to draw attention to Christ. We're not going to do anything that's going to draw attention to the gospel. We're just going to blend in as much as we can, aren't we? You know, here's another one of those profound statements. You can't shoot at something you can't see, can you? And so if we just went in, they've got the rocks ready. They're loaded. They just don't know what to throw them at. I think God has called us to be more the Christians who blend in with our society or blend in with the culture around us, He has called us to be counter-cultural. Now very quickly at the end, I want us to look at the blessing of persecution in verse 12. He says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now so far in our message today, I've told you that if you're a good Christian then people are going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to criticize you. They're going to misuse you and maybe even try to kill you. Who's going to be first at the altar this morning repenting and trying to get their life right with Christ? <laughs> Doesn't sound very appealing, does it? Listen, Jesus knew that this was difficult as well. Jesus, Jesus knew that the Christian life was hard. He lived it. And Jesus knew that it would be hard for us. Therefore, He encourages us that even though there will be losses here, and don't mistake this, the Christian life is going to come with its losses. There are going to be some sacrifices that have to be made. There will be some things that you're going to lose out on here. But He encourages us that 
even though there will be losses here, that there are going to be eternal rewards there. And even some that we'll experience in the midst of our persecution. Therefore, he says, in verse 12, he says, Rejoice! Jesus says, you're going to be persecuted. People are going to hate you. They're going to misuse you. They're going to speak against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice! Be glad, literally, leap for joy. Why? We're going to look at three reasons why we could do that. First of all, because that person, and if it's us, is blessed. Remember what blessed means? We kind of said there's just a whole lot of stuff wrapped up in that word blessed. A blessed life is one that is approved by God. That's what a blessed life is. A life is one that when God looks at it, He looks at the way it's being led, the way it's being lived, He approves of that life. That's blessed. But we also said that blessedness, or that word blessed, is not happiness that is determined by outer circumstances, but it is a true inward joy that we have regardless of our circumstances. So in my Christian life, in my Christian happiness, is not determined by whether people hate me or not, or whether people like what I'm doing or not, or whether people are misusing me or, or persecuting me or any of those things. That's not what determines my happiness, because that may happen if I live a Christian life. In fact, it will happen. But this blessedness, this, this joy that Jesus talks about, is something that regardless of what people think about me, and regardless of what people do to me, that there is an inner joy, something that God has given me that nobody can take away. He said that life is blessed. Now there's another part there. There's another reason why we can leap for joy and be glad in our persecution, and that is because there is an inheritance in the kingdom for those who are persecuted. We look at verse 10. He says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Over in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. I'm just going to read this real quickly. You listen up. It says in verse 16, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, verse 17, listen to this. And if children... Are you a child of God this morning? If children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. If. Big word. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him that we may also be glorified together. There are great blessings for persecution. And I want you to know that there is a certain closeness with God. I, I can't put my finger on it. I don't guess I've suffered enough for Him, which may tell you a little bit something about what needs to happen in my life, right? But there is a certain amount of closeness with God, with Christ, that those who have really suffered for Him have experienced that nobody else is really aware of. There's just something special there between the, the one who has really suffered for Christ and Jesus Himself who suffered for us. 
The third reason why we can be glad and rejoice is because there are also heavenly rewards. He says, verse 12, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. In closing this morning, I don't want you to close your ears just yet, but we are going to finish out this sermon. I just want you to listen to my last words here. Persecution is a reality, not a possibility. It is a reality in the life of a true Christian.